What's up, guys? It's the Blue Bloods coming back at you with another huge episode. We are joined by a huge special guest today on the podcast. We have the voice of the LSU Tigers, the the national championships champions this year. Chris Blair is with us today, and we appreciate you joining us today, Chris. No problem, guys. Happy to be with you. For sure, for sure. So, well, I mean, we'll get right into it. Uh, this season was definitely one to remember for the for you know LSU, and that's probably an understatement. And I just have to know, in your opinion, what made this LSU team different than those of years past? Well, I think it obviously starts with the offense. I, I don't think that's uh, uh, <laughs> some kind of big secret. <laughs> um, you know, LSU had typically been an I-formation team, uh, a team that was dedicated to building, you know, a, a big offensive line and, and wanting to establish the run early and often in games and, and basically try to play smash-mouth football. And, uh, you know, in this day and age with the defenses, especially in the SEC, uh, where you're looking at defensive fronts, whether it's 3-4 or 4-3 or, or with, with guys that are very athletic and you know, 6'3", 6'4", 320, 340 pounds, uh, you know, when they stack the line and they bring the linebackers up and, uh, you know, if that's all you've got, it's, it's difficult to win week in and week out, especially against teams that are equally as talented or maybe more so as talented at the point of attack. So I, I think the offense was special. And, you know, we kind of sensed it being around the team in spring football, going to back to installing the offense, bringing – Joe Brady in uh, with some new principles on the offensive side. And then the three preseason scrimmages in uh, early August kind of was the – that was that was a real indicator that this was going to be not your daddy's LSU offense. In fact, probably not your granddaddy's LSU offense. It was going to be a lot different. Um, so when you put all of that together, as they like to say in Louisiana, you, you mix that gumbo up with uh, Joe Brady, uh, Joe Burrow, uh, the receiving core. Uh, and an offensive line that I think really uh, exceeded expectations coming into the year. It was it was kind of a perfect storm, and uh, they were able to be very consistent offensively uh, through 15 games this season. Right, yeah, for sure. Um, so that kind of leads into my next question. Uh, I wanted to touch on the spread offense just a little bit. So this preseason, you would hear people just casually calling uh, Coach Orgeron, Coach Spread Orgeron, uh, especially, I mean, I spent a lot of my summer in Gonzales, Louisiana, so – I heard on the radio all the time. Uh, so, obviously, you gave credit to this spread offense, but why do you think that this spread offense was implemented uh, at LSU this season? Well, I think it goes back to what I said earlier, which is, you know, for a number of years, LSU could win 8, 9, 10, 11 games a season simply because they were just more talented, uh, bigger, faster, stronger. Uh, but when it came to the games they had to win, the to be atop the SEC West and to win the SEC, get to the SEC title game and, and get into the college football playoffs and be successful. I mean, you're going to face teams that are as talented, as bigger and stronger and faster than you are. Um, and if you're a one-trick pony, uh, or if they dedicate themselves to stopping that one aspect of your offense, um, you know, it's just you're not going to have as much success. And I think over time, you know, you look at that 2011 season, that was a team that was built on running the football and uh, a stingy and suffocating defense. And they were very successful, one of the best teams in LSU's history. Um, but when they met with Alabama in the second meeting in the national title game, uh, Alabama sold itself out to stop the run, and they did. They never let LSU across the 50-yard line. Uh, and there wasn't much that LSU could do about it. 
Uh, and unfortunately, in, a, in the minds of a lot of LSU Tiger fans, it took way too long uh, for the coaching staff to realize that you've got to have more to it than, than just one aspect of your offense. So uh, Coach Ogeron talked about it. You know, people ask me this season if I was surprised about the success of this team uh, and the success that Ed Ogeron had in, in just over three years as the head coach. And the truth is, not really. Uh, when he was hired as the full-time coach after his interim season in 2016, he told us in the press conference what he wanted to see from his offense. He wanted to be able to run the ball when they wanted to run, wanted to run when they had to run, but he also wanted to throw the ball when they wanted to throw and when they had to throw. And basically this season, you saw that. I mean, there were games this year where the passing game was virtually unstoppable. Uh, in the Auburn matchup midway through the year, uh, Auburn played that, what I like to call a I-formation defense where they had three down linemen uh, and basically eight defensive backs trying to clog up the passing lanes. And that's when we saw the rise of Clyde edwards Lair, the running back. And LSU was able to have some successful runs along with Clyde edwards Lair. Joe Burrow had the game-sealing touchdown on a, on a quarterback draw uh, to score what would be the go-ahead touchdown. So uh, they were able to do whatever they wanted to do. They had multiple weapons. And, and I think the reason they wanted to go that way um, is that in this day in, in college football, you hear the saying all the time, defenses win championships. you got to have a good defense. It's great to have an elite defense. Uh, but I think offense now, we're, we're in a day of, of where the offensive um, multiplicity, if you will, uh, offenses are going to win you championships. And I think LSU is a great illustration of that this season in college football. And to be honest with you, I think the Kansas City Chiefs were an example of that at the NFL level. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, you know, you talked about uh, LSU fans' frustration with the way the offense, is, the offense at LSU wasn't evolving, and uh, that really led to the downfall of Les Miles. But when Les Miles was let go by LSU and Coach O was announced as the main hire, there was a lot of fans that seemed to be upset by the hire and voiced their displeasure. Why do you think there were so many fans that didn't believe in Coach O when he first arrived in Baton Rouge? Well, I think because LSU is a pretty prideful program, I think it's one of the most recognizable brands in all of college sports. Uh, I think their football program, based on obviously what, what Les Miles is able to do, I mean, it's not easy to win a national title. Uh, you know, it started with Nick Saban. He was able to win a couple of titles at LSU, and, and then Les Miles took over for Nick when he went off to the league and was able to, for the most part, early on, sustain that level. Um, and, you know, after a while, when that level's not being met uh, or being met, you know, people are going to get upset about it. So, you know, I think there was some kind of feeling that now that the change had been made and you have let go a national title-winning coach, that you look across the college landscape uh, for somebody that has that same type resume. Um, and for that reason, the fact that LSU decided to go with Ed Ogeron, who had a really good interim season. I mean, he picked up a team that was in complete disarray uh, after the Auburn loss four weeks into the season in 2016 and, and did a very good job of, of putting his stamp on the program in that interim year. I think there were just some fans who thought there were other names and other people out there uh, in the head coaching profession that, that may have been a better pick. Um, so I think that's the reason that you had uh, a good portion of the fan base who thought not necessarily they didn't want Ed, but they thought that maybe LSU could go out and get a bigger name. Uh, so that's why this season has been so much fun for me because I get to work with Ed on a, 
on a pretty regular basis. And, um, you know, I, I think the best part about this year was, was him starting to get some of the respect that I think he earned uh, this year and not, and not just this season, really, since he's been on the job at LSU. And he's, he's a great example for anybody in the coaching business and anybody who does anything for a living. Um, you know, he had a, he had a tough go with things in his first head coaching job at Ole Miss. And, and that kind of hung around his neck for a number of years, had a great, uh, showing that USC is the interim coach. And for a number of reasons, USC decided to go in a different direction. Um, you know, after he finished that interim year. Um, so for, for Ed to be able to come in, in his home state at a place that he has always cherished and has always had a special place in his heart. Uh, he's put in a ton of work. And I think that, you know, three plus years ago, there were people who were questioning whether or not Ed Ogeron could get LSU back um, to, to the top of college football. Uh, but I got to be honest with you guys, there's not many people in the state of Louisiana about midway through the 2019 season that he had any doubts that he was the right guy for the job. Oh, you're absolutely right. Um, so let me play – Devil's advocate here for a second. Uh, so Coach O won the national championship this past season in only his third full year being the head coach in Baton Rouge. Uh, Les Miles, you already mentioned this, also won the national championship in his third year. Where would you rank or where would you put these two coaches uh, in the conversation as far as best LSU head coaches of all time goes? Well, that's difficult. I mean, sometimes you become a prisoner of, of the moment and, uh, you know, you Try not to do that. I mean, we're, we're coming off one of the best college football seasons and college football teams, guys, that, that, that the sport has ever seen. Right. Uh, and so it's easy to simply say, well, Ed Ogeron's the, the best coach at LSU. Um, but what I will say to back that up a little bit is that you look at his record. I mean, there's two things, or a couple of things, really, that stand out to me about what Ed's done at LSU. He's never lost back-to-back games. Uh, right. He's had an incredible knack for compartmentalizing wins and losses. Um, and, for example, they, as I said, they never lost back-to-back games. They never had a loss affect them in the second week. Uh, also, they've had emotional and grueling wins uh, that they've had to battle for. And yet, the next week, they may take on a team that they're supposed to roll over, and people say, well, this is a trap game. This is a game they could be in trouble because they're overlooking this guy or this team coming up two weeks from now. And they've never done that as well. I mean, he's been able to really get everybody's feet back on the ground and start from scratch on Monday. He always calls it Tell the Truth Monday. What's good, what's bad, what's ugly about the game on Saturday? They clean it up and then start ramping up towards the next opponent. Um, you know, he's got 10 top 10 wins. He's got one of the best records in all of the country against top 25 opponents. Um, so, you know, he recently got a new deal, got an extension, got a raise. And when you look across the college football landscape, there's not a lot of coaches. There's really less than a handful uh, that have done what he's done with his record and who he's beaten and what he's been able to accomplish. Um, so I, I think he deserves it, whether or not he's, a better coach than Les Miles, I'm not qualified to make that call. I right. can tell you that what he's done at LSU is, uh, is, is something that, that there's a lot of coaches and a lot of programs and a lot of schools would love to be able to uh, get a hold of. So um, he, he's done it, and he, and he deserves the, the respect and recognition for what he's done. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. I think he gets, you know, uh, I think he gets a bad rap. And to move into that, what would you say to the experts, to the fans, to the 
rival fans of LSU from the other schools in the SEC that say LSU is a one-hit wonder, and the only reason they won the national championship is because of Joe Burrow and Joe Brady. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think any of the us three credit just those two play this that coach and that player, but there's a lot of people who do think like that. What what would your response be to those people? Well, first off, a lot of the people across the country who make that kind of statement show up to LSU maybe three or four times a year. Uh, right. So they're literally looking from the outside in. Um, you know, first of all, to break it down simply, Ed Ogeron had to go out and find a Joe Brady and convince him to come to LSU. Ed Ogeron had to go out and find Joe Burrow and convince him to come to LSU from Ohio, by the way. Right. I mean, you couldn't find two different – two more different <laughs> geographical regions and, and cultures. Uh, so you got to give him credit for finding both of those guys. Uh, but most importantly to me, having been around the program and being around Ed, the organization and the foundation that he began building uh, in 2016 is why they've been successful. And I tell him all the time, there's a lot of Fortune 500 companies, and I mean this sincerely, that could come in and look at the way he has built his program and learn something. You know, they just finished the new football operations building, the renovation this past summer. And, you know, it's got all the bling and it's got all the, the, the swag that, that you see when a new facility is open. But when you really take all that away and just look at the way it's laid out and the efficiency of the building, you, you then realize that a college football student athlete could spend his entire life over three, four years in that building and enjoy themselves from weightlifting to nutrition uh, to the break room, to the players' lounge, to uh, the film rooms, to the, to the position group rooms. Everything is laid out um, in, a, in a very efficient way. And, and because of all those reasons I just told you, um, you know, he's got to replace a Joe Brady. He hasn't made that decision yet. Well, Ed Ogeron has earned the right to take his time to find the right fit for LSU. He's not at – I mean, he's told us over the last couple of weeks he's in no hurry to make that hire because he doesn't have to. Um, you know, they're looking across the college ranks. They're looking across the NFL ranks. And because, you know, LSU and, and Coach Ogeron has been able to, to pay their assistants and their coordinators some of the best, best money in, in the country, um, you know, they can afford to do that. Um, you know, they just recently named Bo Pelini coming back to LSU, who's an absolute defensive wizard replacing Dave Aranda, who did a phenomenal job in four seasons at LSU. Uh, but I think Bo Pelini's a great fit, and it was a good fit for Ed. Ed has a lot of respect for Bo. Bo has a lot of respect for Ed. Um, so for all those reasons that I just keep rattling on about, I don't think it's a one-hit wonder. Now, what is your level of expectation? Will you set college football playoff records? Will you set SEC offensive records? Will you set NCAA offensive records? That's a pretty high bar to meet coming off the season that LSU just had. But to think they're simply going to fall back uh, into the pack after one year, I think, is, is a little naive. And, and for those who think that, they obviously haven't paid attention to what's going on in Baton Rouge. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Um, and, and to kind of build off about what you said about uh, the Bo Pelini hire uh, at LSU, so what are your thoughts about the changes that he's already made to this defense, like the, uh, like the implementation of the 4-3 uh, that he's bringing back to LSU? 
Well, I think that's, again, a credit to Ed Ogeron. Um, you know, Ed told us when he got hired at LSU that when he was at Ole Miss, he made a lot of mistakes. And one of the big mistakes he made was trying to coach every position group the way he coached defensive line. Uh, and that, that spread over into the offensive room, the tight end room, the quarterback room, uh, the defensive secondary room, the special teams room. He said he just approached it in the same way. You had to be, uh, you know, high level, plenty of emotion. And, you know, he found out that just didn't work. Uh, to be a head coach, you're kind of the CEO of a program. You, you oversee things. You make the big 10,000-foot view decisions. And then you bring in a good staff because you, A, trust them, and B, respect what they do in the game, and then you let them do their job. And he said he learned that from Pete Carroll, who he worked with at USC, and then eventually implemented that as the interim coach at USC and, and then carried that on to LSU. Um, so, you know, Dave Aranda was a guy that was hired by Les Miles. Um, Ed actually worked under Dave Aranda as the defensive line coach going into the 2016 season. And there was no question that when he was named interim head coach and eventually full-time head coach, he was going to keep Dave Aranda because he knew Dave was very good at what he does. Right. Um, and they had a great relationship. So when it comes to Bo Pelini, he's going to move LSU from the 3-4 to the 4-3 uh, as the base defense. Uh, but that's kind of the old school Ed Ogeron mentality. I mean, he kind of comes from that 4-3 school. He likes an aggressive attacking defense. And um, I think he likes what Bo Pelini brings. But I think, and Ed's kind of talked about this the last couple of days. In fact, he mentioned it on National Signing Day a couple of days ago. It's hard to, you know, be a 4-3 guy or a 3-4 guy all of the time. Uh, you know, in this day and age, again, as I mentioned earlier, the way college football offenses are, it's, you've got to be able to be multiple. So I think you're going to see more teams be multiple in their defensive approach. And I, and I think LSU will be the same way. I mean, even under Dave Aranda, who ran a 3-4 base, there were a lot of times there were four or five guys at the line of scrimmage. They may not have all been, you know, down <laughs> with their hand in the dirt. Um, and I, I think the same thing will happen with LSU and, and Bo Pelini uh, coming up this year and, and for years to come, which is their base will be a 4-3, but I think we'll see multiple looks uh, out of the defense. Right, right. Yeah, and I mean, I, I I think it was a I think it was a pretty good hire. I mean, I don't have any problems with it as a fan. And you know, to talk about some some of these losses, in your opinion, which loss will hurt LSU the most or be the hardest to overcome moving forward? Would it be Dave Aranda as the defensive coordinator? Will it be Joe Brady as the passing game or co-offensive coordinator? Or will it be Joe Burrow at quarterback? Which of these losses will be the hardest for LSU to overcome? You know, I've talked to a lot of coaches over the years. I've worked with a lot of coaches, and, uh, you know, I've listened to them. And, and that's important. You should always listen twice as much as you talk. And for a play-by-play -play guy, that's kind of hard to do. But um, <laughs> one, one of the things that I've heard from them is we can call all the great plays. We can scheme up all kinds of defense and scheme up all kinds of offense. But we can't make the throws, and we can't make the catches, and we can't make the runs, and we can't make the cuts. Um, so it's pretty easy for me to say, in my opinion, that I think the biggest loss is Joe Burrow, uh, just simply because the coaches put them in good positions, but you have to make the plays. And Joe Burrow was just absolutely spectacular. Um, you know, he got to LSU in, in June of 2018, and they were still kind of in that we're going to run the ball first mentality. 
and he still had a really good year in 2018. Uh, you know, a lot of people passed him off as just a run-of-the-mill quarterback in the SEC going into 2019. Uh, but he had a good year. And I think in the Fiesta Bowl uh, at the end of the 2018 season on, on New Year's Day 2019, uh, they kind of took the reins off the offense and, and basically said, Joe, go out and win the football game. And, you know, he just was phenomenal. Uh, threw the ball all over the field and 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 kind of showed all of us that, hey, he can make all these throws. We haven't seen him make these throws. He hadn't been asked to make these throws through the regular season, but he can do it. Um, and so then you add Joe Brady, who brings in the offense and that spread style that that made Joe a hero in Athens, Ohio, as a high school player. Um, and there wasn't a big learning curve for Joe. I mean, this was the offense he grew up on. This is the offense that made him uh, you know, a guy that everybody wanted his services in college. So I think it's, it's Joe Burrow that's the biggest loss. I know it's a long-winded answer to it. Um, you know, it's hard to replace Dave Aranda. Uh, it's hard to replace a Joe Brady who just came onto the scene and had a huge splash. And, you know, he's a great guy. I mean, I, here's a funny story about Joe Brady. I, I spent 10 years as the play-by-play voice at Georgia Southern. And we played William & Mary in the FCS playoffs uh, up in uh, up at their play in 2011, okay. and they were one of the most explosive offensive teams in the FCS that year. And Georgia Southern runs the old school triple option. Jeff Munkin was the head coach, who's now at Army. And we went up there and absolutely beat the snot out of them. And I'm standing at practice one day, and Joe Brady's over there, and I said, "Joe, you you played at William and Mary, right?" And I didn't have any clue. I knew he was young, but I didn't know how young he was. He said, yeah. I said, you remember that game when Georgia Southern came up to the FCS playoffs? And he said, oh, do I? He said, my goodness. He said, they beat the hell out of us. And I said, were you coaching in? He said, no, I was a wide receiver on the team. And I said, oh, my goodness, you were playing then. He said, yeah. He said, we couldn't stop him. Um, so, I mean, he's just a young guy that has absorbed a lot of football. He's been around a lot of great coaches and I wish him nothing but the best with the Carolina Panthers. But, again, a long-winded answer to tell you, I think the biggest loss is Joe Burrow. Right, for sure. And I, and I actually agree with you uh, when you say the biggest loss is Joe Burrow. That's definitely going to be hard to replace. Um, but another question that I have, uh, I guess this one's more geared toward the offensive side of the ball at LSU now. Um, and a lot of people are giving Joe Brady that credit that I think he deserves, honestly, for this past season. But I also think that there's a criminal lack of credit given to Steve Ensminger. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? <laughs> I, as you started to ask that question, I thought, I can't believe I haven't brought up Steve Ensminger's name yet. <laughs> to me, he doesn't get anywhere close to the credit that he deserves. I mean, first of all, the guy was a star quarterback at LSU. Right. He's been around a lot of programs across the Southeast, the ACC, the SEC. Um, you know, he, he, he just knows the game. I mean, you know, in this day and age where we're, we're caught up in Sabermen and analyzing all the data, there's still something to be said for having a gut feeling uh, for a particular game and a, a particular instance in a game. And, and Steve's got that. And you, you can't replace that. Uh, he just has a feel for it. And, you know, when Ed Ogeron and Steve together realized after the Alabama loss in 2018 uh, where they just couldn't move the ball at all, again, the mentality of we're just going to line up, try to run it at you. 
and uh, you know it was a it was a pretty bad loss in in Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge. Yeah, that's when those guys got together and said, you know, we we've got to move this offense forward. And they did a camp with with the New Orleans Saints, uh, obviously working with Sean Payton and his staff, and was introduced to Joe Brady. And as it came along, that that, that Joe Brady name kept coming up, and and Ed basically, as I understand it, said to to Steve, "Are you good with you know bringing somebody in?" And you know, kind of sharing some of the duties, um, not only in practice and and the philosophy, but also in play calling. And Steve said, "I don't care. I want to win. I want LSU to win. I want to bring a title to LSU." And uh, the marriage that Joe Brady and Steve Ensminger had, which I had a chance to watch in those preseason scrimmages, if you can imagine, Tiger Stadium holds 102,000 people, oh, yeah. and the scrimmages are closed, uh, no media, no crowd. And our radio booth actually sits next to the, the coach's booth. And I had a chance in those scrimmages to watch how they worked. And, you know, Steve's the guy that makes the call down to the field. And Joe Brady also has access to the field. But Joe was more, you know, watching what was coming ahead, you know, three, four, five plays in advance. He was looking to what the defense was, where their alignments were, where their fits were, and, you know, coming up with some options and then would kind of share that with Steve as the game went along. And the way they were able to manage that that operation and that choreographed way they called the game was was something to watch. And uh, you know, I think Steve doesn't get enough credit. You know, I give I give Joe props when he won uh, the assistant coach of the year award. You know, one of the first comments he made was that this award should have two names on it: Joe Brady and Steve Ensminger. And and he's right. I think the the way they were able to meld their experience and philosophies together, young and old, uh, made LSU an offense that nobody could stop. Yeah, first, uh, 100% agree with that. And so just to kind of even highlight Joe Burrow even, even further in this offensive unit, would you say that Joe Burrow clinched his spot as the best player in LSU sports history? And if so, or if he's if maybe – how long until a statue is realistically outside of Tiger Stadium? Because personally, <laughs> I think he deserves one now. I think after the national championship, I told Brandon it, they should be working on it that night. Yeah. And then <laughs> well, he put the EAUX uh, spelling on the back of his jersey, too. <laughs> well, you know, I will tell you this. One thing I've learned about LSU, and, and, and I admire them for that, is, again, the, the phrase I used earlier, not being a prisoner of the moment. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of, a lot of Tiger fans who think there should be a statue out there right now. Uh, and I think that there will be at some point, there's been two Heisman winners at LSU, Billy Cannon, uh, and who helped LSU to a, to a national championship in the late fifties. And now Joey Burrow, uh, you know, the championship in 2019, uh, but to give you a little indication and your listeners a little indication, Billy Cannon got his statue outside Tiger Stadium, I want to say two years ago. Um, so, uh, you know, there's been some pretty good basketball players at LSU as well. And Bob Pettit has a statue who played in the late 50s and 60s. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal has a statue outside the arena. Uh, and he, he played a few years ago. Uh, so it, it's it's a school that, that doesn't tend to retire numbers. They retire names. Uh, it's a school that doesn't just jump, you know, headfirst into, into putting statues in. Uh, so I don't know when the, 
that Joe Burrow statue will be there. I, I'm sure it will be at some time. I um, mean, when you have a school that has the type of, uh, of, of history and lore uh, that LSU has and, and he's your second Heisman Trophy winner, uh, it's pretty much assured it's going to happen. Uh, but I don't know that it's going to happen in the next six months, the next 12 months, the next five years. But I can tell you this, Joe Burrow, when his NFL days are done, could come back to Louisiana and do whatever he wants to do, get hired at any company in the state, and probably run for governor and win by a landslide. Oh, yeah, no, he's, he's never paying for another meal in the state of Louisiana ever again. Um, so, and, and yeah, you're right. You're definitely right about the uh, the statue thing. I mean, I know they just this passed, I mean, I think it was in September, put up, finally put up that Skip Burtman statue outside of, uh, outside of the box. But Right. Um, so, on to my next question. In your honest opinion, uh, and we've had a few discussions about this on the podcast so far, who had a better single-season performance? Would you say that Joe Burrow did or Cam Newton did? I'm the resident LSU fan here, Zach's an Auburn grad, uh, so I know the right answer here, but let's just get some clear, uh, some clarity on this. You know, I've, I've, I've talked to a few people about it. I've got some friends at Auburn. In fact, I'm sitting in Auburn, Alabama uh, tonight getting ready for uh, LSU-Auburn tomorrow morning, Saturday morning for basketball. And, you know, immediately people said, you know, Cam Newton put Auburn on his shoulders and he is single-handedly, you know, uh, won that season and won that championship. Um, and, you know, I, I, I can't argue that. I mean, was he a sensational college football player? Was he one of the best ever? Absolutely. Um, but his numbers don't even come close to what Joe Burrow did. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, as a quarterback, your, your job is to distribute the football, involve as many weapons as you can, and frankly, that's what Joe Burrow did. And, you know, I think he's not as respected as I think he should be uh, with his running ability. I can name five games where him running the football uh, was integral in them winning that game, uh, including the Alabama win in Tuscaloosa. Uh, uh, the first down run he had late in the fourth quarter swilled, uh, absolutely sealed the victory uh, for LSU and broke the hearts of – 95,000 Alabama fans in Tuscaloosa. Um, I, I think Joe Burrow is a much better quarterback. Uh, I think he's a much better college quarterback. Um, can you say who's the most valuable player? Well, that depends on how you define that term. Uh, did Cam Newton basically will Auburn to win that national title? Yes. Uh, was Joe Burrow the better college quarterback? I don't think there's a question. Right. No, and I definitely agree with you there. Um, Zach may have his opinions on this one, but uh, that's beside the point. <laughs> um, so uh, I have another question. So I'm going to go ahead and do two in a row here. So you're the voice of LSU for multiple sports. Which is your favorite sport to call? And uh, can you give us a reason why that's your favorite? <laughs> if I had a nickel for every time I've been asked that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, am one of the, I am one of the luckiest guys in the world. And I tell people all the time, that I have the best job at LSU. Um, and they say, really? And I say, yeah, uh, I'm not paid as much as some of the people around me. Um, that's for sure. But I do have the best job on campus. I, I mean, I get to call football, basketball, and baseball. And LSU is one of those unique schools um, that has a great and rich history in basketball. And right now, Will Wade has his team atop the SEC. They won the SEC last year. They went to the Sweet 16. 
Um, and, you know, Pete Maravich, Shaquille O'Neal, Chris Jackson. Um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Big Baby. I mean, you name it. They've, they've had some really good players and good teams. So I get to sit courtside and watch some of the best uh, amateur student athletes in the country battle in the SEC on a regular basis. Um, LSU baseball is one of the premier programs in all of the country. Skip Bertman, who you mentioned earlier, kind of put college baseball on the map. Uh, he and Ron Polk at Mississippi State uh, battled for years. But, you know, in those battles, they raised the level of awareness of college baseball to what it is today. I, I don't think you can point out any other two coaches that, that raised uh, college baseball the way Skip Bertman and Ron Polk did. And then we've just been talking about LSU football, who's coming off a national title. They're fourth in school history. So when people ask me what sport do I enjoy the most, I said it depends on what time of year and what sport's in season. Right. Just to sit high above the 50-yard line at Tiger Stadium with 102,000 fans uh, walking to the stadium on a game day in Baton Rouge, especially at night. Uh, if, if you don't get jacked up for that, then something's wrong with you. Um, yeah. but, by the, but by the same token, in a couple of weeks, Kentucky's coming to, to Baton Rouge uh, to face LSU inside the Maravich Center. There'll be 13,000, 14,000 plus. Uh, I'll be sitting just off midcourt uh, watching, again, some of the best student athletes in college basketball go at it. Uh, tomorrow morning, I'm going to see Auburn and LSU battle it out at Auburn Arena. Um, and then here next Friday, we, we have first pitch of college baseball. And I'll be right behind home plate watching some of the best baseball players in the country, many who will go on to have great careers uh, in Major League Baseball, a la Alex Bregman, who's playing for the Houston yeah. Astros. Um, and I could list a whole, a whole group of guys who have gone from LSU. I could list an even bigger group of guys who have come from the SEC who've gone on to, to great Major League careers. So. If you ask me in September, I'm going to tell you I enjoy football the most. If you ask me in late January, I'm going to tell you I love basketball the most. And if you ask me come May and June, especially late June in Omaha, I'm going to tell you calling LSU baseball is what I enjoy the most. Because if you don't get excited and the adrenaline's not pumping when you're at that venue right before tip-off, right before kickoff, right before first pitch, uh, then, as I said, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. So, um, you know, you talked about sitting 50 yard line, Death Valley over 102,000 people. I've personally been to uh, Baton Rouge, Death Valley more than once. And it's one of my favorite atmospheres, favorite stadiums, favorite cities as a, as a unbiased college football fan and analysis analyst. But as it's one of my most hated places as an Auburn fan, I've been twice. As you guys know, we've lost there every time since 1999. Not a great place for as, as an Auburn fan, but for you, what makes Baton Rouge such a special place and what makes Death Valley one of the toughest environments to play in college football? <laughs> no surprise. You don't enjoy it much. It, it has been a while. <laughs> Auburn's one over there. Um, no, it's just it's just the atmosphere. You know, I didn't grow up in Louisiana. I didn't go to LSU. In fact, I grew up in a small coal mining area in, in eastern Kentucky. And, uh, you know, my first exposure to LSU was, was growing up as a Kentucky fan um, and, you know, understanding that they were going to beat us in football almost every time. And uh, Dale Brown's 
basketball teams that used to cause trouble for Joby Hall and Eddie Sutton, uh, you know, in basketball season. Um, but when you go and experience Baton Rouge on a Saturday, and I and I had heard for years that, that, that it's, there's a lot of great places with a lot of great traditions. I mean, Auburn has their stuff. Alabama has their stuff. Uh, if you've never been to a to an Army game, uh, Army has has theirs. Um, you know, Ole Miss has the Grove. I mean, you could go to every program in college football. In fact, I, as I said, I spent ten years at Georgia Southern. There's traditions in Statesboro, Georgia that that are only there, uh, that are very unique. But I'd always heard that it may not be the best, uh, but there is no place like Baton Rouge on a football Saturday again, especially with a Saturday night game. And it's just a complete atmosphere. I mean, Louisiana is known for, for Mardi Gras, obviously with New Orleans. And uh, if you've ever taken that in, basically you have a mini Mardi Gras every Saturday in the fall that the Tigers are playing in Baton Rouge. And uh, so if, if you can understand what that means, now move kickoff to 6 or 7 o'clock at night when people have been tailgating since Thursday evening, Friday morning, Friday night, and at the very latest, early, early, early Saturday morning. And now stick 102,000 of those people inside a somewhat confined space uh, watching a team that they, you know, eat, sleep, and breathe 24, 365. Um, that's kind of what it is uh, for those who, who may not understand it. Uh, it just it just has an atmosphere. They're ruthless. Um, once you get inside the the, the stadium, um, there's no question as to who the home team is. Uh, but one of the misconceptions that that I think uh, LSU and Tiger Stadium has is that before the game, it's some of the most hospitable people you'll be around. I mean, they love the the, the trash talking and the tiger bait yells and all that, but they do it really and truly in jest. Uh, you know, I've had fans and friends of mine who've come for the Georgia game. I've had friends who have come for the Auburn game. Um, and, and I tell them, you're, you're not going to go hungry. Uh, you're not going to die of thirst. Um, they will be accommodating. They will welcome you. They will invite you to their tailgate. Uh, and, and, and they want you to have a good time because they're having a good time. But kickoff is at six o'clock once you cross through those gates and find your seat inside tiger stadium all bets are off at that point uh the hospitality ends there but um i think i think i've met so many different fans from different teams over the years and uh they've always said they they really enjoy coming to baton rouge coming to tiger stadium for a game up until kickoff and i can understand that but uh there's just no place like it my father I brought him to my first game or his first game at Tiger Stadium in 2016. It was the uh, Alabama game. Alabama won 10 to nothing. Uh, it was it was basically scoreless through three quarters. Bama was number one in the country. Ed Ogeron was the interim coach. And eventually Jalen Hurts made a couple of plays and they won 10 nothing. But uh, my dad walked into the stadium to his seats about 10 minutes to kickoff. And after the game, I asked him what it was like. And he said, truly, it was like seeing the Grand Canyon for the first time. Uh, walking in there, flashbulbs going off, fireworks going off, calling back Rouge, Louisiana Saturday night. He said it was something. So 
Uh, it, it is a special place. Again, I'm not going to say it's the best tailgating experience and the best atmosphere um, because people would say I'm biased and they'd be right. Uh, but there's no place like Baton Rouge on a Saturday night in Death Valley. Right. And I mean, you know, you're on the podcast, so I'm just going to, you can add me to the list of people who will vouch for the description you just gave of LSU, because the first game I ever came to in Baton Rouge was the 2015 Auburn LSU game when Auburn came in as like number six in the country and Leonard Fournette put on just, uh, he he should have been arrested for the things he did to the Auburn defense that day because it was absolutely <laughs> the most embarrassing performance I think I've ever watched. I've been to a lot of Auburn games, but that one was the, probably the worst Auburn game I've ever been to as a fan. And I remember before the game, people were invited us to tailgates and, you know, they beat the brakes off of us. And after the game, I had probably five, six LSU fans come up and ask me if I had a good time and ask me and my friend if we would come back. And if I want, if we wanted to come to the tailgate, if we were staying in town, where were we staying? And the, the fans really live up to the billing of being nice up until kickoff, but then after kickoff, they will still check in on you guys. Even after they beat you guys by, I believe it was, 28 points or something like that it was an ugly game if you were an Auburn fan that day yeah no that that replay of Leonard trucking uh his way to the end zone will play for years and years and years uh the poor Auburn defender had no chance <laughs> not no. not not even not even half a chance it was it, that was a horrible play yeah anyway no I and, and you know, obviously I'm biased too, but uh, one of my favorite memories from Tiger Stadium was this past season uh, at the Florida game. And what you said about once you enter that stadium, all bets are off is 1 million percent true because I remember the Gator Chomps started in the fourth quarter and I don't think it ended until the game ended. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was definitely a sight to see. Um, well, I'll tell you this, Florida deserved it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so my next question, uh, you, you touched on game day traditions at LSU a little bit. Uh, is there one specific game day tradition that stands out among the rest for you? Yeah, I, I think, uh, again, uh, you know, I, I still, right before kickoff, you know, the hair rises on the back of my neck. I get chill bumps sitting up there. I mean, we, we got a lot of stuff we do and we got to prepare for it. There's a lot of minutia to what we do getting ready for a broadcast. But there's usually about a 10 or 15-minute time frame in there where everything's set and we're just kind of waiting to get started and um when calling baton rouge hits pregame oh yeah and a hundred thousand people are are screaming at the top of their lungs um and again it's it's a unique place and, and i've said that a, a million times you know if you're an auburn fan and you live in alabama you got to deal with alabama you got to deal with tuscaloosa uh, if you're an alabama fan you got to deal with auburn uh, if you're a Georgia fan, you got to deal with Georgia Tech. Uh, if you're a Florida fan, you got to deal with Florida State. And you got to deal with Miami. Uh, sometimes, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe soon. Uh, if you're in South Carolina, you got to deal with Clemson. And, you know, if you're at Clemson, it's been a while, but it, at one time you had to deal with South Carolina. I mean, I could go on and on and on. And in the state of Louisiana, that's just not a factor. Um, it, it is. You can tell what it means to these people, uh, LSU football. And, you know, I, I go, my family and I, we go to dinner, we, we shop for groceries, we shop for all kinds of things. And everywhere I go, regardless of the time of the year, somebody wants to talk about LSU football. And when you get that group of people together on a Saturday night, 
and they all sing in unison and you can see the passion and hear the passion. I mean, it's palpable, uh, even from where we are way up top. It's, uh, it's something. And, uh, it's, it, I don't think it'll ever get old for me. I mean, this, this is my fourth year doing LSU football, fifth year doing basketball and baseball, but I, I don't think it'll ever get old. It's just that kind of emotional draw, uh, when the Tigers get ready to come out on the field, it's, um, it's something. That's what was special about this year. I mean, Louisiana has a lot of problems, uh, uh, and that's been widely documented. Uh, they suffer through, you know, weather events. They suffer through, uh, you know, all kinds of issues. And there's one thing that galvanizes this state, and one of those things is LSU football. And to see them come uh, to their chapel, so to speak, on Saturdays in the fall is – it's, I'm, I'm just extremely lucky to be a very, very, very minute, small part of it. And I enjoy every second of it. Absolutely. Right. Um, so to kind of shift gears into some 2020 talk, still a long way away, but it's never too early to start uh, talking about it. You know, National Signing Day j- just wrapped up. The 2020 recruiting class will be coming to Baton Rouge very soon. Which recruit are you most excited to see in an LSU uniform from this outstanding class that Coach O put together? Wow, it's interesting. I, I think the four-star receiver um, from Mississippi, uh, uh, his name escapes me at the moment. Forgive me because I'm pretty locked in on basketball. <laughs> oh, no, you're just totally fine, totally fine. But, 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 again, I think because you lose Justin Jefferson, uh, you lose Thad Moss, the tight end. Um, but you have the Bolitnikoff winner, Jamar Chase, and you have Terrace Marshall coming back. And Terrace Marshall would have been right up there at the top, too, had he not missed, you know, four games due to injury earlier in the year. Uh, but to, but to, to see how the receivers have developed, because this is what LSU's offense is now. Uh, you know, Ed O'Shawn has said, we're not, we're not, this wasn't something we were playing with this year because of personnel. This is who we are. Um, and, and to, to get some really solid receivers in uh, because I think they can be developed very good because this is, this is what they're going to do. The football is going to be thrown to you. And if you're a four- or five-star receiver, you're going to have the opportunity uh, to make plays. But I think the biggest takeaway I had from signing day was, you know, again, as we touched on, Bo Pelini coming in uh, as defensive coordinator and, and Ed and his staff signed six defensive linemen. Um, you know, uh, you can never have enough depth on the defensive line in the SEC. Um, but, but when you're going to go from a three, four to a four, three, you certainly need bodies and you need talented bodies. And, and they went and got some really good ones. And, and, and on top of that, I think the other thing that stands out to me is, you know, Louisiana is a very fertile state for, for, for football products and for football student athletes this year, probably one of the more down years in the state for four and five star recruits, but LSU and Ed Ogeron has spread the brand so well that we're bringing guys in from the West coast. We're bringing them in from the Northeast. We're pulling guys out of Georgia and Florida. And of course, Texas has always been a hotbed, especially the Houston area. So now, you know, Ed, because of the master recruiter, he is, um, you know, kind of planned ahead. You know, he had he had a really good 2019 class. He had a phenomenal top five 2020 class. He's on pace to do the same thing in 2021. 
and he's doing it by reaching out beyond Louisiana. And because of the job he's done in-state, putting the fence up uh, from South Louisiana to North Louisiana, I mean, when you are building a program, taking the best of the people right around your own area and then able to pull some of the best from across the country, uh, I think, again, it goes back to I just don't buy into the one-hit wonder. They built this thing to last. So we'll see. I mean, you know, a lot of people, you know, as we said, Joe Burrow being gone is, is a big loss. But I think Miles Brennan has been groomed for this role. Uh, he's probably – got a better arm than Joe, uh, which I know a lot of people may not believe, uh, but he's got an absolute cannon for an arm, uh, set records in high school over in the state of Mississippi, just over the Louisiana line. Um, and he was an understudy to Joe Burrow and it doesn't get much better than that. They've got to beef him up a little bit. He's got to be able to sustain the, the brutal battle that will come in the SEC. But I think Miles Brennan is poised to be, as Ed said, He's the starting quarterback going into spring football. So you surround him with Ty Davis-Price, who will be a sophomore running back, John Emery, who will be a sophomore running back. Uh, they grabbed another really highly recruited running back uh, on yesterday's signing class. Um, I think there's some weapons for them to use. And if they still stay with that offensive scheme where they utilize so many weapons in the passing game, the running game, uh, I I think LSU has a chance to be really good next year. So I think I think the future looks pretty bright. Yeah, for sure. And I've been on the Miles Brennan train for a while now. Um, and I agree with your answer. <laughs> so I agree with what you just said right there. Uh, and I can't help but think that Brennan is just full of untapped potential. Uh, but how do you think that he handles the pressure of walking in the footsteps of Joe Burrow next season? I think that's the biggest key, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I think – you know, there's going to be a lot of talk in the offseason about you need to be Miles Brennan. You don't have to be Joe Burrow. Uh, and, and, you know, when you're dealing with 18 to 22-year-olds, uh, that's hard to do uh, because they're constantly bombarded with social media, media in general about, you know, can he live up to those expectations? Um, but, you know, Miles is a pretty easygoing guy. That's one of the things I've learned about him. Uh, so I, I think he's going to be able to handle it well. And, uh, you know, I think Ed's biggest challenge and whoever the passing game coordinator is and Steve Ensminger's biggest challenge will be making sure they, they manage Miles Brennan and, and keep him understanding what his expectations are. Go win football games. Are you going to throw six touchdowns in a game? Who cares? Are you going to set the NCAA record for touchdowns in a season? Who cares? You know? At the end of the day, 50 is more than 49, and you'll take it every time. Just win the football game. And uh, I think if they do that, he's going to be just fine. Absolutely. Right. Uh, and so, you know, to kind of shift toward some opinions from you and uh, things like that, what's your favorite SEC environment that you've called a game at outside of Baton Rouge? You know, I guess it's it, – uh, it's kind of hard. Um, it depends. <laughs> it depends on yeah, tough question. It depends man. on if LSU wins or not. Um, yeah. nothing <laughs> That's true. That's true. I mean, there's nothing better than winning in the swamp and, and watching the Florida fans just melt. I mean, oh, there's yeah. just better. <laughs> um, but again, walking out of uh, Bryant Denny Stadium this past fall, uh, you know, my parking was probably. I don't know, 
know, six, seven blocks away from the stadium. And to make that walk out of the stadium after that game was one of the more enjoyable walks I've ever had. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, there's, there's so many great atmospheres. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of my job, being at LSU and, and being a part of Tiger Stadium six, seven times a year and then being able to go to College Station and Kyle Field and Bryant-Denny Stadium and Jordan-Hare. I mean, you name it. Uh, but, I, but I would probably say going to the Swamp and beating Florida never gets old. <laughs> I love that answer because I'm not a huge fan of Florida fans or Florida in general. But this will probably be the hardest question that we will ask you all interview. Uh, we've had this debate on the podcast multiple times. What is your opinion on the ongoing, probably never-ending debate on who is the real Death Valley, Clemson or LSU? And well, what is your take on this? Well, I have an interesting view because I, I worked five years at Clemson. Uh, okay. I left uh, Kentucky. I, I moved to upstate of South Carolina. I worked five years for the Clemson Sports Network. And, uh, you know, was very, very – I'm very, very in tune with what it's like to play at what I like to call Frank Howard Memorial Stadium. Um, and, you know, I've got a lot of friends at Clemson, the play-by-play voice of Clemson and I – I've been friends for almost 20 years. In fact, he gave me my first job in, in college sports radio. Um, and uh, I, I always tell him the way I look at it, and when Tiger fans ask me, when Clemson fans ask me, friends of mine ask me, I like to say, well, there's big Death Valley and there's little Death Valley. And uh, that's the best answer I can come up with. We got 102 at one place and just under 90,000 at the other. So um, I, I, that's, that's what I'm sticking to. So I don't know if that's an answer or not, but. I think that's a valid take. I, I, I think there's, I think there's an argument on both sides. I've been to both and uh, I'm really torn on it. Cause I would say they both rank uh, very high on my list. Cause I was at both games when Auburn was ranked really high and both of the fan bases really showed out for the games I went to. So I'm going to hold out my opinion until I get to go to Clemson again for a second time like I did LSU. And I want to go to LSU for a night game. Both games I've been to were 230 games. Oh, so, man, I'm, I'm about to take uh, you. Yeah, I'm going to have to go. Uh, but So two more questions, um, but these will be more prediction style for 2020. What is one player under the radar that, you know, our listeners or even us might not know about that you think is going to be a star or make the biggest impact for this 2020 LSU Tigers team? I think Damone Clark at linebacker for LSU is, right. uh, is, has a chance to really rise and, and become somebody that, that NFL scouts are going to pay close attention to. He's got really good speed. He's got big size. He's got a high football IQ, and, you know, there were times this season where, you know, you came into the year thinking that LSU was was pretty deep at linebacker, and they were. Uh, but Caleb on Chasson missed a few games. Obviously, Michael Divinity was out for a number of games. Uh, and even though when those guys were in, you know, Damone Clark would come in and he would make plays immediately, even to give those guys a rest for a play or two or a series or two. Um, he was really impressive. And so I think Damone Clark is a guy that can really, you know, make a name for himself coming into the season. Uh, you know, on the offensive side, 
Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, I, I've already touched on him. I, I think that Ty Davis-Price, I mean, if you go back and watch what this guy did uh, in his limited moments, I mean, Clyde Edwards-Elair was just a stalwart for LSU. I mean, to me, he was probably – he and Thad Moss were the MVPs for me. Uh, okay. Because when, when teams were able to, you know, sell out to try to stop the passing attack, which they didn't do very successfully most weeks, but if it, if it stalled for a, a series or two, it was Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Thad Moss who, who, who basically shook the defense back into their base, uh, if that makes any sense. Uh, right. And then it allowed the passing game to open up for Justin and Terrace and Jamar. Uh, but Ty Davis-Price, when you watch his clips, I mean, the talent this guy has, the burst he has, the cutbacks that he has, um, it was, was impressive. And, and then finally on the offensive side, I think Chris Curry, uh, a guy who I think a lot of LSU fans forgot about. He was basically fourth on the depth chart at running back. And then coming into to the game in the, in the postseason when Clyde Edwards-Alaire was banged up, I mean, he, he, he surprised all of us, including myself. Oh, yeah. Uh, first of all, that he was the starting running back in that game. And secondly, the way he ran the football. Um, so I, I think LSU – Again, they're not going to abandon what they do offensively. And that's what makes them so tough is that they, they can hit you from so many different places. And I think between Ty Davis-Price uh, and, and Chris Curry and obviously John Emery, uh, who, who saw a little bit of time at running back, who was highly touted coming out of high school in Georgia, had him committed, and then he, he flipped to LSU. I think those three guys are, are huge. And, and because they were able to work under Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and learn that it's not just about getting the handoff and run the ball, but it's about pass protection. It's about having solid hands and making plays in the passing game. I think because they were exposed to that this past season, uh, all three of those guys could have a really big impact uh, this coming year. But obviously it's going to start with Miles Brennan. And, and of course, when you have the returning Bolitnikoff award winner and Jamar Chase, uh, you kind of know what you're getting there. Right. <laughs> for sure. That's not a bad target to have for your first year starting. Um, but final question, 2020 season is months away. What are your, what are your personal expectations for this 2020 team? And how do you, how do you honestly, as of right now, opinions can change based on other information, but as of right now, how do you see this season turning out for LSU? Well, you know, it's, it's hard for me to project that. Um, you know, obviously, but, but I think the best thing about 2020 is that, you know, as opposed to the Alabamas and the Clemsons uh, and the Ohio States of the world, there's this feeling that LSU, as we talked about earlier, had a perfect storm, everything came together, and next year we're all going to see what it's really about without Joe Burrow and Joe Brady. Right. And because of that, there's no person and no head coach on earth that thrives any better on being the underdog and putting a chip on his shoulder more than Ed Ogeron. And for that reason, I'm optimistic about 2020 um, because Ed, Ed plays that role as good as anybody in the country. And uh, I'm sure already that's being talked about inside football operations, that they think we're a one-hit wonder. They think we can't do this. Uh, they don't think you guys are as good as Joe Burrow and Justin Jefferson and Thad Moss and Michael Divinity and Caleb on Chasson. The list goes on and on and on. And I think for that reason, 
I'm optimistic. Uh, I'm bullish on LSU going into this season. Again, will they be able to put the numbers up they put this year? Uh, no. And to be honest with you, I don't think there's a team that's going to do that for a long, 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 long time. Um, but as far as being competitive and a force to be reckoned with in the SEC and on the national scene, yeah, I think this is right where LSU wants to be. Yeah, uh, that's that's an awesome. And I, I mean, I think it's going to be a very interesting season. It's going to be a season that if Coach O gets, let's just say, LSU back to the playoffs, I think that submits himself as just one of the best coaches in the country right? because it shows that he it wasn't all Joe Burrow and Joe Brady. Yeah, no sure. question about it. I mean, I, again, they're, they're they're a big part of it, and and to take away their role would would be uh, very naive. But um, again, when you're around the program as much as I am, and you've seen what they've built and the systems that are in place, um, and and again, with Ed Ogeron being the recruiter he is and making hay this season. I mean, you give a guy that is relentless on the recruiting trail a season where you go fifteen and zero and win a national title and set multiple records on the SEC, NCAA, and college football playoff stage, yeah, he's going he's gonna to make the most out of it. So, um, And for that reason, that's, that's, that's why I think that the things are, are going to be in pretty good shape for the foreseeable future. For sure. Well, that is um, a wrap on this interview, but we appreciate you coming to join us on the podcast, and we definitely would love to have you again um, as football season nears and, and especially, you know, to talk LSU football during football season because I know basketball season's going to be hectic, especially with LSU right in the mix of the SEC. Too. Yeah. No doubt, man. You guys, let me know. I'd be happy to join you. Yeah, for sure. Is there anything you wanted to plug uh, before we end the interview? No, man. I don't I know. No, I do a, <laughs> I do a podcast during football season, but I, I don't have enough time between basketball and baseball to do one. So, uh, no, I'm good. All right. Awesome. But uh, so, yeah, uh, thanks again uh, to Chris for joining us. Also, but yeah, we will be back with another episode soon, guys. But for right now, we are out. <laughs> <laughs>